So I'm going to continue our series that uh, Simon kicked off last week, which is the year of the Lord's favour. I want to talk about, well, what does favour look like? What is favour? Simon was showing us last week how Jesus began his ministry in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth one Sabbath day with these words written in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that went like this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's Luke 4, 18 to 21. And I want to say, first of all, that today this scripture is still fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this year, in 2021, it is still the time of the Lord's favour. This is our perpetual year of Jubilee. Do you know that? Do you know that? And you might say, well, it doesn't feel all that favourable at the moment. There's still so much injustice. There's so much sickness and uncertainty. There's still so much poverty. And it says when Jesus said these words that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They still are. They still have to be because... This is a provocative message and it's meant to make us sit up and say, well, what are we going to do about it? To ask ourselves, what does this message mean to us today? It challenges us to speak a better word over ourselves and over one another and even over our nations because the spirit of the Lord is also on us. But it kind of begs the question, what actually is the favor of God? And what does it look like now? See, Jesus didn't just theorize over these words. He showed us what they meant with demonstrations of authority and power. So what did that look like? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. So first of all, then, what is the favor of the Lord? What is the favor of the Lord? We need to be sure about this if we're going to demonstrate it. Otherwise, we're going to confuse a lot of people. And there's no shortage of confusion when people talk about the Lord's favor. Some say, for instance, that the favor of God is health and wealth. It's prosperity. It's big houses, cars and material possessions. Although Jesus didn't have so much so much of these things. Uh, and yet... We're told uh, that he grew in favor with God and man. Some say that the favor is about influence and power. But then Satan tried to get Jesus onto this one when he offered him shortcuts to all the nations of the world and their glory. And Jesus turned him down. Or perhaps favor looks like the gifts and talents of celebrities. Surely they're the ones who are blessed by God. Jesus refused this too when the people tried to force him one day to be king. And I can't deny that favour will sometimes appear to look like some of these things. And I've certainly been grateful to God 
for provision and opportunities that he's trusted me with over the years, except that in Jesus we see that the favour of the Lord looks mostly like grace. And so we see that favour is shown to the least, to the undeserving, to the sinner, to the outsider and to the poor. That God's favour is shown to the ones who need it most and to those who respond with faith. He gives the right to be called children of God. That's favour. So when it comes to the Lord's favour, it's primarily about how people respond to Jesus. So what we can truly identify as favour in our lives is the fact that we believe in him. So are there any people watching today that are enjoying the favour of the Lord? If you're already a follower of Jesus, you already have the favour of the Lord. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. But you got it anyway. Favour is a gift of God. So what does it look like then in our lives? What are some of the benefits of the Lord's favour that we can see, not just for ourselves, but so we can tell other people about it who don't know about the favour of the Lord yet? Well, let's just keep our eyes fastened on Jesus as we follow him out of the synagogue to demonstrations of the Lord's favour in the rest of chapter 4 and through chapter 5 of Luke. And there's four things I want to show you. And the first one is this. Satan is driven out. Satan is driven out. He doesn't win. The devil doesn't win. This is what favor looks like. Luke 4, 33 to 35 and verse 41. It says, in the synagogue there was a man possessed. That means held captive by a demon. An impure spirit of evil. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, and come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before all of them and came out without injuring them. And then in verse 41, it says that demons came out of people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Messiah. Satan is driven out and the devil doesn't win. That's what the favor of God looks like. The demons can't stay. They can't continue to torment us, to oppress us, and to hold us. They may be able to tempt us, but they cannot stay with us. They may be able to lie to us, but they can't live in our heads. Because of the favor of the Lord, the devil is no longer our master. Because we are no longer under him or live in his kingdom, we've been transferred into the kingdom of God's own son. We belong to another, one who loves us and who gave himself gave himself for us and this means that none of us need to be oppressed by the devil any longer you don't need to listen to his lies or fear him when he threatens or intimidates you satan's rights over our lives have been cancelled and he has no rights unless we give them back to him And we do this when we agree with his lies or we allow him to occupy our airspace because we're living in sinful, unrepentant behavior. 
Or here's another one uh, when he sneaks back in, reminding us of our past failures and, be- and behaviors and fooling us into thinking that nothing has changed, that we haven't changed. And so we're bound again in the loop of our own condemnation. But you know, when the devil reminds you of your past, you only need to remind him of his future. <laughs> Because the devil doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. Jesus does. Jesus has. And so we win and we get to live in the good of his victory. Of course, this doesn't mean that we won't suffer at the hands of evil during our lifetimes. There are plenty of examples of that, even in the lives of the apostles. So don't buy into the lie that says because life is hard, we no longer live under the favor of God. We may still battle with evil, but we can be certain of the ultimate victory over Satan. It's guaranteed. So this is the first example of what favor looks like. Satan is driven out. The devil doesn't win. That's where Jesus starts. And then he goes to Simon's home and we see number two, which is that sickness is driven out. So sickness doesn't win. Luke 4:38 to 40 says that Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering with a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait at them, wait on them. And then at sunset, it says, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. And it's interesting that Jesus deals with the sickness in Simon's home in the same way as he dealt with the demon in the synagogue. He rebukes it and the lady got up at once. With the other people who were sick, he lays his hands on each one and he heals them. And so this shows us that sometimes a sickness has a spiritual or demonic root, and sometimes it doesn't. In chapter 5, we see Jesus forgiving the paralyzed man, and he's healed, showing that sin was the root of his sickness. Elsewhere, Jesus says that a man's sickness is nothing to do with sin. It's simply an occasion for a demonstration of the glory of God. So without going into all the theology of healing here, just take note of what Jesus shows us, that sickness has all kinds of roots. And I think that knowing this can help us to know how to pray for different people at different times. And sometimes it's not being clear to me what the root of a particular sickness has been, and other times it, it, it has been clear, and sometimes not, sorry. So often when I pray for people for healing, I'll pray for the physical and rebuke the spiritual and see what happens. On one occasion, I was on the way to pray for somebody who showed me, uh, and God showed me a root of sinful behavior, which the man then confessed and was healed. And the thing is, we, we need to ask the Holy Spirit what to do and trust in his anointing, especially with sickness. But how do you like this demonstration of favor that Jesus gives us? Sickness doesn't win either, which doesn't mean that all of us will necessarily be healed all the time in this life. But it does mean that we can trust him with our bodies. And of course, Jesus goes on to show us that even death doesn't win because 
Because he conquered that too and has secured the ultimate victory. Which also means that we will all get resurrection bodies one day that will never age or get sick. So what does favour look like? Satan driven out and sickness driven out. Neither of them win. And thirdly, we see that outsiders are welcomed in and prejudice is overcome. And we see this, first of all, in Jesus' choice of of disciples. So, for example, he didn't invite the Pharisee and the teachers of the law to be his disciples, but people like fishermen and tax collectors who were outsiders themselves of the religious establishment. And the favour of the Lord is shown to Simon Peter with a miraculous catch of fish in chapter 5. And evidentially, the fishermen had been out all night and caught nothing but an extravagant payment for the use of Peter's boat. As a pulpit, perhaps. Jesus tells them to put out the nets one more time in verse 6 and 7. And when they had done so, it says, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I love the fact that Jesus caught Simon Peter the fisherman with fish. (laughs) So many fish that it was too much for him to handle. And that's a bit of prosperity favour there perhaps in God's provision. But it goes on to say that he left it all behind in verse 11 to follow Jesus. But see, Jesus chose them not for their fish, but for his mission to go and catch men. It made sense. These fishermen were ideal missionaries, fearless travelers, well connected with all the tradespeople. I mean, how many people know that the outsiders are not inside the church? And these men would have come into contact with people from all different kinds of backgrounds. It was likely that they would have been fluent in at least Greek, Hebrew and Aramaic. As merchants buying the fish, uh, they would have traveled through many different areas. Jesus chose outsiders of the religious establishment as missionaries to reach people who are even further outside, the Gentiles and the surrounding nations. And ultimately, these men would go on to travel all over the then known world telling people about Jesus. But I think this is also why Luke takes us next to the leper. That's the first place that Jesus goes with these newly Pointed disciples, Luke five twelve to 13, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he says he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And people with leprosy were the extreme of outsiders of their community, the untouchables, feared because of their extreme disfigurement and the risk of contamination lived outside of the towns and the cities and when they traveled they would cry out unclean unclean to warn people away they were separated from their families and they were banished from the temple but Jesus reached out and touched him verse 13 says Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man saying I am willing be clean and immediately the leprosy left him This shows 
the favour of God to all of us. That God who is holy and we who are sinful can be touched by him and made completely clean. We too were once all outsiders to his favour, sentenced to death. But Jesus came to find us and to save us, welcoming us in, showing us that religious, social, racial, economic, educational prejudices don't win. All are welcomed in so that this is what heaven looks like. A great multitude that no one can number from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes. That means they were made clean. Which doesn't mean that our battle with prejudice is over. But it does mean that we have a responsibility to show the favour of God to, to those who are even now being treated as outsiders. Find them and welcome them in. So what does favour look like? Satan is driven out. The devil doesn't win. Sickness is driven out. Sickness doesn't win. Outsiders welcomed in. Prejudice is overcome. And finally, the disadvantaged are welcomed in. Grace triumphs. Luke takes us now to the case of the paralyzed man who was brought to the feet of Jesus, lowered down through the roof on a mat. Luke 5, 20 to 21 says this, when Jesus saw their faith, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who's this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can, who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. So why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed. And gave praise to God. Now, clearly this man is disadvantaged by his physical paralysis. He wasn't able to work. He was dependent on others. Uh, he wasn't able to play an active part in life. But Jesus points to a greater disadvantage. Which is the same for all of us. Which is the problem of sin. The Pharisees see Jesus uh, addressing the sin issue as blasphemy. But Jesus asked them, which is easier, to forgive sin or to heal a paralyzed man? Well, only God can forgive sin, but then only God can heal a paralyzed man. And Jesus could do both. Now, one form of paralysis affects the man's physical well-being. The other, his eternal salvation. Which one is more important? That's the question Jesus is asking. He tells the man to get up and walk. He enables the hard thing, having the paralyzed man to get up and walk in order to show the even harder thing, the power to forgive sin. Our inability to obey God's law is our ultimate disadvantage because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this is what the favor of God looks like in Jesus. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Get up. And walk. Enjoy your life. The disadvantaged are welcomed in. The law is fulfilled through Jesus. Grace wins. Mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Not everyone who is physically disadvantaged will be healed. Not everyone in poverty is made rich. Not everyone who is hungry is fed. But everyone who confesses their sins to God through Jesus is forgiven and can be saved. And the favor of God in our eternal salvation is guaranteed. Let me just conclude and bring this to a close. Favor is about how we respond to God. This is what favor looks like. Satan is driven out. Sickness is driven out. Outsiders are welcomed in. And disadvantaged people are welcomed in. And in a couple of chapters, John the Baptist sends a message to Jesus, asks him, are you really the Messiah, the one who is anointed and is the fulfillment of all that is written in the scroll that Jesus has read in Isaiah 61? And Jesus replies in Luke 7.22, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have had leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Like I said, Satan is driven out. Sickness is driven out. Outsiders are welcomed in. The disadvantaged are welcomed in because that's what the favor of the Lord looks like. And it's really good news. So are you living in the good of it? Who are you going to tell about it? Let me just close in praying for you. Father, I want to thank you for your favour. I want to thank you for the favour that you've shown to us. Ultimate favour is that we are rescued from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of your Son. The ultimate The ultimate favour is that we know your presence. The ultimate favour is that we know our sins are forgiven. Lord, thank you for the favour that you've given us. Now, Lord, will you help us to communicate this favour to everyone who needs it most. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.